me just uh, kind of just tell you what we believe uh, about this book, all right? That we really believe that, that God speaks to us through this book. That these, these pages are not written by just mere men, but they're inspired by God. The Bible tells us that it's, it's profitable for, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training us up in righteousness. And so as we gather as doxa, we gather around the Bible, we gather around the gospel to, to hear from God. And so because every word points us to Jesus, and it's from God, it means that we, we listen well. And we don't just listen, but we really seek to understand what it is that he, he tells us. And then we, and even more is we try by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to then take a step and respond and listen to what God says to us, ultimately becoming the men and women that he has created us to be. And so, guys, the Bible is not primarily about us, but I want you to know this, guys, it's for us. It is for us. The Bible's primarily about God, and it says that, that human history, all right, all of our lives come from God, that God created us for himself. He, he created us to, to live for and with him, and then one day we will all die, and we'll all stand before God and give an account to God about our lives, all right? And so what this all means, guys, as we open up the Bible today, is that all of life, all of human history means that we should interpret it in light of what the Bible has to say to us. And so to whittle it down is the Bible helps us to understand the past, the present, and the future of our lives and of human history, okay? And so the reason I start with this is because it's going to be exceedingly important for us as we get into Luke chapter 21, because today Jesus is going to talk to us about the future, all right? He's, going to, he's been talking to us a lot, a lot of different things as we've been walking and journeying with him. He's in Jerusalem, and now he starts to talk to us about the future as we approach the, the end of all things, Okay? Now, with this, guys, here is how I approach this today, all right, is I just do it humbly. Because what we're going to get into today in Luke 21 is honestly a, a difficult passage. That there are some passages of the Bible that are more difficult to understand than others. The, the Apostle Peter says this in 2 Peter 3. He says that as he's reading Paul's letters, he finds it in verse 16. He says, it's difficult to understand. And honestly, as we get into this, commentators will talk about Luke 21 as being kind of one of those, those chapters that is kind of difficult for us to understand. So we can speak about the things that are clear, but I want to kind of give room that there's some things that we could possibly disagree on, and, and that's fine. But overall, you're going to have to think for this one, okay? This isn't one of those ones that you zone out and you're like, okay, Jesus, I get the main point. You're going to have to really think if you want to follow me, okay? So elbow each other, take a drink of coffee, whatever you got to do, okay? But you're going to have to follow me on this because the theological category that we're getting into today is called eschatology, all right? So eschatology, for, for those of you who don't know it, it deals with the end of time, the last things, okay? And it's looking at the, the return of Jesus, how this is going to happen, when this is going to happen, all of this stuff. And everyone has an opinion on this, guys. If you read theologians and commentaries, all right, people will have a vast array of opinions all right, but only God knows how this is exactly going to happen. We, we kind of see dimly through glass and we, we say, okay, we know that Jesus is coming back. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to happen. And so what I'm saying, guys, is that there's things that we hold close. There's things that we believe that should be close-handed issues. Jesus, the Bible, sin, hell, heaven, repenting of sin, turning to Jesus. We hold these in a closed fist. All right, these are the things that we have to be on the same page with. We also believe that there's open-handed issues, all right? Open-handed issues of things that we can disagree on, we can even discuss and debate, but we don't divide over, 
because they're open-handed and we don't know everything. And that's especially true. And some of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Those of you who are like theological minded and you're, you've studied a lot, you're like, okay, I know. Well, how is eschatology going to work? Okay. All this to say, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. We're going to read the Bible here in a minute. It's going to be good. But we don't divide because we have disagreements on the end things. We know that Jesus is coming back and that's the point of all this. Okay. So that being said, Luke chapter 21, we're going to start in verse five. And here is what we see. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be, one, be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So we'll pause there, okay? Here's what's happening. Jesus has, has reached Jerusalem He's walking through the city with his disciples and they start looking around and they see the temple that's in, in the city and some of the disciples start to comment about how beautiful and majestic and glorious it all is and Jesus kind of looks at him, he says, it is great and it's, it's glorious, it's huge, but you need to know this, it's all gonna come crashing down. So this is a big thing for us to understand because today for us, maybe you hear the idea of the temple and you don't really have much of an understanding of that, right? Unless you've really read your Bible and studied a lot, the temple probably means very little to your walk with Jesus. But here in our text, guys, it's a big deal. And so we need to have a, a baseline understanding of what the temple actually is if we're going to understand what Jesus is talking about. But, but the temple, all right, was created hundreds of years. Okay, it's, it basically goes back hundreds of years to God's decree before here in Luke chapter 21. All right, that really the temple was, was this just huge structure. It was magnificent. It was probably one of the world's wonders. All right, it was, the, it was a great place. The Jews, the temple was like the holiest place in the entire world. It represented faith and focus for the Jewish people. It was the place in the Old Testament that, that the high priest would go and they would make sacrifices for, for people and it would, the high priest would intercede between God and people. So it was very, very important to the Jews. All right, it was where the Jews would find their collective kind of national identity in their community. And so for them, life like revolved around the temple. It was very, very important. So when Jesus is saying, hey, you see that temple? That's great, but it's all going to come crashing down. It's going to be destroyed. When Jesus says this, guys, this would have been shocking to the disciples because they couldn't have imagined what life would be like without the temple. It would immediately have triggered in their mind okay, this is the end of the world because they couldn't conceive of life without it. And, and maybe you're kind of looking, if you're, if you're reading the Bible well, you look at what we just read in those first couple verses and you say, okay, maybe you're reading into this because I don't see any end of the world talk. What are you talking about? I want you to write down Matthew 24. All right, Matthew 24. Can somebody grab me a drink of water? This is always awkward, but my mouth is just like really dry for some reason. Too much coffee. Why are you doing that? Matthew 24, verse 3. Write that down. Talk about it at Connection Group. Here's what you need to know. This is most clearly seen, all right, this idea of the end of the world, when you look at the synoptic gospels as a whole, the synoptic gospels being Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They, when you look at them in this account as a whole through the lens of the synoptics, you see that the disciples were really asking this question. Take a look on the screen. In Matthew 24, verse 3, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age. They're asking, give it a, give him a hand. Good job. He's not just good at singing. He's a servant. That's awesome. Much better. So these disciples 
as they're hearing about the destruction of the temple, they are thinking in their mind, it's the end of the world. And you see it. These two things are connected as they ask this question in Matthew chapter 24. They say, okay, if the disciple is come, or the, the temple is coming down, number one, when is this going to happen? And number two, what's going to be the sign that the world is ending? This is what they're, they're asking. Inherent in this question is the wider matter of the end of the world because the disciples had these two events connected. Now, Jesus did not. Jesus did not connect the destruction of the temple to the end of the world, but what he does, as he oftentimes does, is he uses these questions to then ask or teach a, a theological truth about, okay, here's the, here's the temple, it's gonna be destroyed, and now let me also talk to you about the end of all things, all right? So here's what we got. Jesus says the temple is going to be destroyed. The disciples say, okay, what is the sign? And here's what Jesus says. Look back at verse 8. See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. I want you to underline that. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Now, because here's how you need to read this. Right? In, in studying this, this was exceedingly uh, helpful for me to understand what Jesus is saying, is that we need to read Jesus' words here using bifocals. Because right? understand this, as Jesus is teaching this, there's some telescoping done here. All right? That he kind of zooms in and starts talking, and then he kind of zooms out to the far future and talks about other things. So near and far is he's talking about. And so Jesus is requiring us to, to put on bifocals. And if you have bifocals, you know someone who has them, you know that they help you to see near and then they help you to see far, depending on how you're looking. And this is why this passage is so difficult to understand because there's telescoping happening. He's talking about the very near future within 40 years after his death, but then he zooms out and talks about the far reaching future and the second coming and the end of human history. All right, so understand that up front. There's, some, there's telescoping happening. We need to wear bifocals, but look back. All right, the disciples ask, what is the sign? And I, know, I want you to notice there's a sign. It's singular. But it's interesting because Jesus doesn't give like a singular sign until verse 20 is when he actually answers their question. But then he starts off with giving them a number of different signs. All right? And he doesn't start off by, by charting out like, okay, here's, here's all the things that you need to know, and then it's going to come. He really just voices some concern that he has. And here's what he says. Write down these two words. He says, I don't want you to be deceived, and I don't want you to be disheartened. Deceived and disheartened. These are the issues. Because Jesus knows that, that there's going to be all types of things that are happening throughout the world. There's going to be some bad events that are happening. There's going to be people that come and they're going to capitalize on these things and they're going to be confusing people. And he tells them, hey, don't follow these people. And you can see this, this bifocal lens here. He's saying very shortly after my death, the temple will be destroyed. All right. And at, in AD 40, this actually happened. All right. Right after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed. But then he gives them a further out prophecy saying that there's going to be false teachers there's going to be these, these men and women that come in my day and hereafter, and they're going to teach false things. And I want you to know this, guys. You need to hear this, is that we're surrounded by false teachers and false teaching. And, and you really need to, to be like understanding this, is that not every spiritual leader and not every religion tells the truth. Now, I told you, we're approaching this humbly, 
and this is an extremely controversial thing that I just said in our world of pluralism, but you need to know that it's not enough to be spiritual, you actually have to be truthful. And that is a big, big distinction, right? And some of us in this, in this family, like the Doxa family, I, I watch some of the things that are posted on like Twitter and quote, and like you share like blogs on, on Facebook and some of them are just like awful. I mean, they're from like spiritual people in the world, but if you read them, it's just, it's just false. It's not enough to be spiritual and carry the guise and the label of like a pastor or a theologian and not speak truth. And Jesus says here, guys, that false religions and false teachers and spiritual influencers, they will come and they will lead people astray. And this is what happens. And he's pointing to the reality that false teachers, they tend to prey on people's emotions. And in these days, all right, after the temple was destroyed, people were just emotionally wrecked. Because remember, like literally their whole identity as a nation had just crumbled down. They were just, they didn't know what they were going to do. All of their, their life rhythms were kind of just destroyed and they were like, okay, well, well, what's next? If, if everything is gone, like what do we do now? And, and they were just kind of like in an emotional state of looking around. And this was the perfect time for false teachers to come in and start, start telling them, don't listen to Jesus, that person that you were following. Here's the real answer. And I'll propose to you this, guys, is that this is kind of like the world that we live in today. That we live in a world that's just filled with turmoil and confusion and anxiety and times are just hard. They're tough. They're tense, like politically, socially, racially, monetarily. I mean, look, you look at the news and you, and you look at like the, the news feeds on social media and it's like we, we get these updates from around the world and it is just like shocking. And it kind of feels like the world is just unstable, right? Do you feel that way? Maybe, no, I'm the only one. It, it does. You're not even, okay, there we go. But Jesus, he's pointing out that when this happens, when there's instability, when people's emotions are, are riled up, there's an opportunity for false teachers to come in and start to give a false hope and they will lead people astray. And that's true in the near, in the days of Jesus leading up to and after the destruction of the temple. And it's true in the far, including the day that we're living and, and carrying on into the future. And if we, if we look at our day today, guys, many of today's religions, sadly, they fulfilled Jesus's prophecy here. That they were founded by, by men who came into an unstable world, looked around and basically said, hmm, how can I capitalize on how people are feeling right now? And they come to people and they say, hey, look at all this stuff. Like the Mayan calendar is ending, the world is ending. I have an answer, follow me. And people follow them. I mean, you see all of these things. And they come into an unstable world and they say, here is the truth, the end of the world is coming, I have this idea, this knowledge that you need to follow. And people actually follow them. And I don't know if these people are like malicious and they're doing this with a bad heart, but at the very least they're deceived. But I'll give you a few practical examples. Just the other day I got a knock on my door from a couple of men who are from the Jehovah's Witness group. All right, they, and if you don't know the Jehovah's Witness, they're a, a cult that kind of splintered off and broke away from Christianity, but they have a building right down the street from, from my house. And they knocked on my door and I started talking to them and, and they're great, they were great guys. We had a super nice conversation, very winsome men. And, and as we talked, if I wouldn't have known better as they shared these, these truths in my doorstep, I would, have, they, I would have thought I needed to go there. 
I'm missing out on something. But the sad reality is, is in 1914, the Jehovah's Witnesses with the, with the Watchtower Bible and Tractus Society, they predicted the end of the world to be in 1914. And they got people riled up and, and following them. It didn't obviously happen. They did this in almost a dozen other times. It didn't happen. And, and then what happens is they kind of recoil and they're like, okay, we got it wrong. Here's the next real date. The point is, is guys, this is what false teaching looks like. It establishes these mainline religions that people start to follow and it's a very dangerous thing because it leads them astray. It leads them away from Jesus. This is what Jesus said is gonna happen. Another example is the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith. In 1835, Joseph Smith, he called a meeting with his, his church leaders and said that I spoke to God. And he told them that he spoke to God and God told them that in the next 56 years was gonna be the second coming of Jesus, the end of the world. And it was gonna come just as he pro promised. And in the doctrine and covenants of Mormonism, which contain the, the revelations given to Joseph Smith by God at chapter 130, it, it said that the end of the world would come at the conclusion of Joseph Smith's life. Because it's just false teaching. And when we begin to understand this, it's not that like, it's, it, it's not like you're throwing stones at other religions. It's like, it's just, it just doesn't happen. Like you can't base an entire framework of eternity on false things. It's not enough to be spiritual. You have to be truthful. And Jesus is saying that there's, there, there's, there's people that are deceiving and leading people astray and leading them away from God. Even people within Christianity, you watch late night TV, there's some like really weird people like having TV shows and like selling snake oil and telling you that the end of the world is coming, right? And they're doing all these different things. The point is, there's false teachers and Jesus is warning us, don't follow them. Guys, don't be deceived. Read your Bible. That's why we emphasize the Bible so much here. We don't want to be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't think I have all the answers. Be like the Bereans in Acts and you hear me give a sermon. Go home and read your Bible and study it and see if what I'm saying is actually real. No, we're confident that as we have a plurality of elders and we're talking about the messages that it is, but you need to read your Bible so you're not deceived. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's a very dangerous thing. There's things happening. So he says, don't be deceived. But then in verse 10, look back. He says, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So don't be deceived. And here he's saying, don't be disheartened. That there's things gonna happen. There's bad things that are gonna happen in the world. There's gonna be great earthquakes and people are gonna point out and say, look, at, it's the end of the world, it's coming. And, and Jesus is saying, no, all right? Bifocal perspective here. He's saying there's gonna be things that come shortly that are just gonna be like cataclysmic events and natural disasters that are gonna make you think that it's the end of the world, but this is also gonna go on until I come back. And it's pointing to this reality that we see in Romans chapter eight where the apostle Paul says what? That the earth, the creation is groaning and waiting for a new heaven and a new earth to be created because sin, guys, has, sin has affected and, and infected us, but it also has affected creation. That creation battles against itself. And so it, it's, it's the groanings, the birth pains of the kingdom of God. And so he says, don't be deceived or disheartened. Don't go YouTube and look up into the world. Like if you do that, like there's like some entertaining stuff, okay? Grab some popcorn and you're gonna have a really, really great Friday night, okay? But he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be disheartened. And now he's gonna move on. All right, and he's saying that while there's gonna be things that come up that are gonna be terrible, that are gonna make you think it's the end of the world, 
It's not even the end of the temple, because look what he says in verse 12. But before all of this, circle that. That's really important. All right, this is a, a moment to pause because this is a, a very important exegetical key. To exegete a passage literally means to draw out or to pull out the meaning of what's being taught. And I want you to know that what Jesus says is he says before all of this, he's really saying before all the stuff we just talked about, the deception, the natural disasters, all of these things that are going to happen, before that stuff happens, here is what you need to know is going to happen. And if you just read over that, it's going to seem like a chronological order, but again, it's the telescoping nature of this passage. So he says, before all of that stuff happens, here's what's going to come first. And if you look back, it's cruel persecution. Verse 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. They will be, this will be your opportunity to bear witness Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to mediate, meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your life. Jesus says that there's going to be persecution that comes for those who are following Jesus. People are going to come after them, and they're even going to kill them. And Jesus says this, this persecution that's going to be unleashed is going to come from other Jews, it's going to come from Gentiles, and it's even going to come from family. Because those people who were following Jesus, the Jews were coming after him because they said that Jesus is God, so they were coming after him for blasphemy. The Romans and the Gentiles were coming after him because they refused to worship the pantheon of Roman gods and they said there's only one God, so that was blasphemy. And then their families were coming after them because they had now walked into a new family through faith in Jesus into the family of God and now everybody hated him. And this is what he says, it's coming. Now, we don't know much of persecution in terms of experiencing it in, in our country. I mean, we really don't. We know persecution of like, you become a Christian, you get baptized, you post it on social media and someone makes fun of you, right? We know that type of stuff. Your, your neighborhood throws a block party and they don't invite you because you're a pastor, right? That one stung a little bit, okay? <laughs> no, but right? They, this, is, this is the type of persecution that we, we know, right? I have a friend that I was talking to as a nurse who told me last week that she needs to be careful how she talks about Jesus in the workplace. Because if they hear her with the Jesus talk, she's going to get fired. That's what we experience. But you need to know that throughout the world, guys, there is terrible persecution that's happening. Where people, other Christians, your brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus are dying and being tortured. If you want to have your eyes open to this, go, here we go. go to persecution.org. I want you to write that down. Persecution.org. It's a website that'll give you an update on what's happening around the world in terms of persecution. And you can see how you can pray and alleviate, but there's people that are going through great lengths of, of torture abuse because of their faith in Jesus. I might need to grab that. All right, and you just need to know that this is happening. It's a fulfillment of, of prophecy. I have a friend from seminary that this was his experience. He's from India. His, his family became Christian, and uh, his dad started just sharing the gospel. And they couldn't, where, his, where he was from, 
they couldn't carry around Bibles because they would literally be, literally be killed. And so his dad committed to memory the Gospel of John, memorized the entire Gospel of John and just went around the city and shared it with people. And one day, somebody was walking past and they saw a Bible sitting on the counter of his house and they drug the whole family out and beat them nearly to death. And that's when the parents decided we need to get out of here before they kill us. And now they're planting churches here in the United States and trying to do more stuff back in India. It, it's happening, guys. But Jesus says, this is what's coming. Persecution. And he says, some of you will die. In fact, if you know history, you know that all, almost all, except for John of the apostles, were, were killed, were violently killed as martyrs. He says, this is coming in both the near and the far future, but in the midst of this, look at verse 17 again. Here's the promise that we have. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but what? But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. That Jesus gives them the truth that, that God is sovereign over all and he's never going to abandon his people. That even though they can take your stuff and they can take your status, they can take your family, they can even take your earthly life, they will never be able to take your eternal life because Jesus has you in his hand. And this echoes Romans chapter 8 where Paul is asking, what could separate us from the love of God? There's nothing. Jesus says, lean in on that. This is the gospel. Preach it to yourself, guys, that we have a message of hope and help and healing. Because Jesus is alive, and not just Jesus is alive, but Jesus is alive and well, and he's king of kings, and he's lord of lords, and he's in control of everything. And what that means is that through Jesus, that everything is given meaning. Our lives are giving meaning. Death is giving meaning. All of it, he gives us meaning. And one day we will die and we will leave everything behind, but we will have everything in Christ. This is the beautiful gospel. And Jesus is saying, hang on to that. So he warns them of all this, and then he finally gets to the, the question that they asked. In verse 7, they said, what's the sign? Verse 20, here's the sign. Here's the sign of the destruction of the temple. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these days of vengeance. I want you to circle vengeance. We'll come back to that. To fulfill all that is written. Verse 23, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And what Jesus says is very specific here. And he tells the disciples, here's the sign that you're asking for in verse 7 you'll know that the temple is gonna be destroyed when you look up and Jerusalem is surrounded by armies and enemies. That's it. And, and guys, here's the thing that you need to understand. This prophecy happened just as Jesus predicted. That around 70 AD, all right, the Romans sieged the city of Jerusalem and the temple was brought down. And if you love history and you study men like Josephus and Tacitus, you, you know that as they, these were not necessarily Christians, all right, but they, they studied and wrote down what happened with history. But Josephus and Tacitus wrote down that, that everything that Jesus predicted actually happened just the way that he said. Josephus records that this siege went on for a couple months and people inside the walls were, were dying and even becoming cannibals to try and get food. It was just an ugly scene. And he, Josephus records that somewhere around a million people died in this siege. Tacitus says he inflated that a little bit. It's over a little over 500,000. Whatever the case, 
It was a terrible, terrible thing, but it happened just as Jesus predicted. And here's what you need to know, guys. This was a day of vengeance and justice and judgment. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little dicey and we don't like to talk about this, but, but God, guys, God is a, is a God of love. He's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. But he's also a God of holiness, justice, and wrath. He's both. And, the, just, and the, the justice that he has on the destruction with Jerusalem and the temple was, was really just judgment on Jerusalem. It was the wrath of God being poured out. And we have to ask that question, right? Well, why? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like a loving thing. But it's what we saw two weeks ago in Luke chapter 19. If you look back to that, just a couple pages back in verses 41 through 44, Jesus enters Jerusalem and he what? He weeps. Well, why does he weep? It says there, because the people had closed their eyes, that Jerusalem, many of the people, the majority of the people there, they rejected Jesus. That they had the Old Testament prophecies of him. They had seen him perform miracles. They had listened to him teach. They had listened to him testify about himself when he said, me and the Father were, were one. They saw him fulfill all these prophecies, but they closed their eyes to him and they rejected him. And they didn't just reject Jesus, but they actually killed Jesus. And because of this rejection and because of their violence against God, the judgment came upon Jerusalem. And there was judgment on the temple. And just like that, guys, you need to know, and this is where it gets real, is that you need to know that just like this judgment came upon the temple in Jerusalem, this judgment will come upon nations and cities and families and religions and cults and philosophies and spiritualities and people who now reject Jesus. It's the hard truth, but it doesn't come quickly. You notice Jesus rides into Jerusalem and it was some 40 years that God was patient to let the, the Jews come to Jesus. He was patient, but they just rejected him and turned their back on him. And so if you put your bifocals back on, guys, he gives this near-focused prediction and then he telescopes out. And in verse 25 through 33, he's saying, okay, that's what's gonna happen with Jerusalem. Now, let's go farther into the future. Here's what's gonna happen when Jesus comes back. And just like he was right about the prophecy in Jerusalem, he's right about this. He speaks of the certainty of the future. In verse 25, and there will be, sign, be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. All right, in ancient Judaism, right, the roaring of the seas was seen as chaos. And so he's saying in the last days, there's gonna be chaos. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. All right guys, this is the second coming of Jesus and the final judgment of, of mankind. This is the end of all things where God will ultimately finalize the destinies of our eternities as people, being with him in the presence of God in, in heaven or without him in complete abs absence from him in, in hell. And this isn't something that comes instantly because like I said, the Bible says that God is patient. He's slow to anger. And just like he gave the Jews 40 some years 
right? When after, the, after they killed Jesus, before the judgment on the temple came, he's been patient with us for a few thousand years as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. But God is so loving and patient, guys. And even if you guys are here, maybe you're sitting here and you've been rejecting Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, I want you to know that you're here and you're breathing because God is patient and he's loving and he wants you to know the truth about himself because he loves you. You need to know that you're here out of love, you're breathing out of love so that you can see Jesus and not reject him anymore and just accept him and say yes. This is the point, guys, this is the point of our lives is to love and to find and to see Jesus and to follow him and to, and to escape the realities of the effects of, of our sin. You're here because of that. And I pray, guys, that you would see Jesus. I hate talking about this stuff, I really do. Like Luke is just so gracious to us that he records Jesus and the things that he says because it's the truth. Guys, and if we never heard this, what would there be any reason to respond to Jesus for? But we need to know that this is emphatically true. And that's what Jesus is saying is just as the temple came down and I predicted that, judgment is coming upon the world because of sin. And God is holy and perfect and cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he has to judge it. And that his love is made perfect by that. And so if we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. But look what he says in verse 29. He told them a story. It's almost like Jesus just got done telling them all this stuff and then he's, he's like walking with his disciples and he's like, oh, there's a fig tree. Let me put it to you this way. Verse 29, look at the fig tree. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And here's what I believe that Jesus is getting at, guys. That since the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there's nothing else that needs to happen for Jesus to return. That we're like literally in the last days. That Jesus could come at any time. And for those of you who are Christians, you know, this for you is like, man, that's awesome. Like, hurry up because I'm tired of watching all my friends die and I'm tired of watching all this terrible stuff and if you can come before the next election, that would be a bonus, right? <laughs> and, and you're just like, come on, let's do this. If you're a Christian, you're like excited about this and like, okay, I'm gonna be with Jesus forever and it's gonna be perfect. No more conflict, no more sickness, no more nothing. Now, if you're not, it's extremely scary because if you're like, if this judgment is coming, if this is actually, I mean, it's, it's, you're like sitting here thinking like, okay, this is not super fun. And I want you to know that as Jesus is saying all this, his purpose is not to, guys, hear this, it's not to give us like a timeline of events or a chart or anything like that. All right, he, it's, he gives us all of this to start, to strengthen, and to sustain our faith. That is the big point for Jesus here. He's not providing esoteric information on eschatology. He's seeking to start our faith for some of you and to sustain and to strengthen our faith for those of you who are Christians. And so here's what we did do, we're to do all with all this. He actually gives us an application. He shares all this information. He says, I'm coming back. All right, now here is what you need to know to do. Verse 34, but watch yourselves. I want you to circle that. Watch yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. 
but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And underline this last part, and to stand before the Son of Man. Because this is the issue here. To stand before the Son of Man. In this context, it literally means to stand in confidence, in approval, in acceptance before God. And I want to tell you that the only way that this is possible, Hebrews 4.16 tells us that it's only through faith in Jesus that we can approach the throne of God in confidence, knowing that we're his kid. That with Jesus, we'll one day all stand before God. And with Jesus, we can approach the throne with confidence, knowing that this is our dad. And he doesn't look at my sin, he looks at Jesus, and Jesus is like, I got him. I died for that. But standing before the Son of Man is the, is the key issue here. That one day, guys, we will all stand before God and give an account of our lives. And through faith in Jesus, we'll be ushered into the presence of eternity with him. But without, well, there's nothing. There's no hope, there's just despair and judgment. And this closing reality and really this whole discourse from Jesus, guys, just causes us to ask the question, where do I stand with God? And I want you to ask that. Where do you stand with God? If this is your like, first time visiting, I know you're like, wow, what the heck, these guys are intense, right? We just, we just preach the book of the Bible. We go through the Bible and we just preach it. And I believe that God is sovereign and so you're here for a reason and I think you're here to ask that question. Where do I stand with God? And if that's the one thing you take away and I never see you again, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to teach you the Bible and to preach the gospel to you because this is the most important thing and I pray that you walk out of here and that just rings in your head every single day until you come to him. Because it causes us to ask that and the big idea is this, guys, is that Jesus is coming back. He is. He came to announce life we celebrate this at Christmas. In a couple weeks, we're gonna celebrate Easter. He defeated death and sin and Satan and hell. And he gave us a way to come and experience eternal life. And he's coming back to get those who are his. And so are you in Christ? It's the big question. And for those of you who are Christians, this is a warning. Jesus says, watch yourself. And so if you are a Christian and you're following Jesus, you're on the road with Jesus, I'd say to you the same thing that Jesus is saying to every single one of us. Watch yourself. He could come at any minute. If you're living in sin and in darkness, you need to repent of that. You need to grab somebody and just confess. You need to watch out for false teaching that you don't fall into an anti-gospel and start following somebody else other than Jesus. You need to keep yourself from wandering. And you want to know how to do this? You don't white knuckle it. But what does he say? You pray. And you ask God for strength. And so you pray and say, Holy Spirit, I cannot do this. I cannot stay away from sin. I'm broken. Every part of me is affected by sin. I need your strength. Help me to live like Jesus. Help me to live like I can't live on my own and empower me by your grace to overcome the sin and temptations and let me lock my eyes on Jesus and run the race well. That's what you do. You pray because you can't do it. We can't do it. We're not strong enough. And for those of you who aren't Christians, man, I would just encourage you, call upon the Lord. Draw near to him. And just call out to Jesus. And the Bible says 
that when you do that, he will meet you in your brokenness and in your sin, and he will take it all from you and give you life. This is the beautiful gospel, guys. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm thankful for the Bible. Even in times where we, we get into kind of stuff like this that just kind of is like, man, that's tough. Um, I'm grateful that you're a loving father who you give us everything that we need. You gave us Jesus. You gave us a way. And so, God, I, I pray that um, as we're sitting here, as we sing these songs, that you would just uh, continue to speak to us. Holy Spirit, just light up the words that have been written in this section in Luke 21 and just teach us, guide us, speak to us as we're, we're here, and would you just tell us what it is that we need to hear? And would we be real and just asking that question of where we're at with you? And let just this be a day that we come to you as just needy kids saying that we just need you and we love you. And would you just bring us into the kingdom and allow us to celebrate? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.